Welcome to this special Rewind episode of the Swan Waters Healing Podcast. Welcome to today's Swan Waters Podcast titled Co-Parenting with a Toxic Person or as we like to say, Attempting to Co-Parent with a Toxic Person. And we're delighted to have you join us today. Before we get started, I just wanted to mention uh, the format of the recording. It's going to be probably about 45 minutes, and we'll divide it into two chunks of around 20 minutes like we have in the past. Um, This is pre-recorded, so we won't have the benefit of a live Q&A. But if you'd like to ask any questions of our presenters, feel free to contact them from our website. And, of course, right below uh, on this same page where you're listening to us now, there is an area where you can submit questions, and we'll all see them and respond to them, and that would be wonderful. So without any further delay, uh, let's move into the topic, uh, co-parenting with a toxic person. Today's speakers are, um, are, you've heard them before, and they're both wonderful and awesome, and we adore them. They are Aubrey and Stefan. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Uh, good morning to everybody. Um, and uh, let's just jump right into it. Aubrey, you had mentioned before um, or earlier that uh, we might start with Stefan with a, a non-custodial parent perspective, and then we could um, move into a custodial parent perspective with you. Is that, does that sound okay? Sounds great. All righty, and just let's uh, jump in wherever you'd like. <laughs> okay. Um, my experience, I guess a little background from my perspective. Um, my daughter I have is not, and uh, she just turned nine here about two weeks ago. Um, she uh, was, I, I divorced her mom when she was about three and a half or four. Um, during the time that we were together, um, I could not do anything right as a father, right? Everything was wrong. Um, so it's, it's kind of creates a, a new perspective uh, once you go down that road and get divorced. Um, because you're trying to establish my goal. One of my goals from divorcing her mother was to establish an ultimate frame of reference for her. So she had a different place, you know, so she had two different houses. So she had something to compare because one of the things from my upbringing is when you're exposed to one paradigm all the time, you normalize that and that's what you, you move forward with. Excellent. So, so of course this means that, that mom and I don't agree on much, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and it was, you know, a pretty hellacious court battle for custody. Um, you know, there's, there's definitely a challenge when you're, you know, I was a, I was a breadwinner and the family, she was a stay at home mom. She essentially just wanted me to see her as little as possible. I mean, the, the, the isolation kind of thing and, um, and just pay her a bunch of money. That was her primary goal. Um, and I wasn't okay with that. So I, you know, spent 16 months in court with her trying to get to where I'm at now. I currently have almost 50% placement um, with her. So uh, it certainly was well worth the uh, investment in time and energy and money um, to to get that. I mean, I, I'm starting to see some fruits of it now. You know, when she's that young, um, you know, like the age of seven is roughly the age of reason, right? And that's the age where they can start to understand differences a little bit better and mm-hmm. make their own decisions. And when they're that young, they just basically swallow everything hook, line, and sinker. Um, that's told of them. Uh, so, and I've had experiences with that, um, with her, you know, there was, I, I've not heard, you know, one thing too is, is I don't really get, and I'm getting information through the children, right, through her a lot of times that I really shouldn't come through her. Um, and there's also, you know, boundary issues on mom's side where mom will tell her things or, 
involve her in adult emotions um, that have been uh, it's, it's difficult. And when those situations arise, it's it's very it's very uh, it's challenging to you know what do you say? Um, for example, um, she was about four and a half or five, and she was about five. She was playing on the living room floor. And she looks at me, and I was at the kitchen table working on some work, and she looks up at me and says, Dad, I uh, really wish Rose was here. And I'm like, who's Rose? And she goes, oh, Rose is one of the babies that died in Mommy's belly. I'm like, um, <laughs> what do you say to that? You know, uh, It's like that's totally not a topic that, that a child that age should know anything about. Yeah. Um, and so it's those kind of things that, that when they come up, you, you know, I, I just essentially said, well, I really wish mom wouldn't discuss stuff like that with you. Because you don't want to make the other parents, you know, the parental alienation thing is it's going to put you in the doghouse and then give more fodder to the other side, essentially, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so that's that's where the challenge lies, is try to, it's kind of like leading them to, to make their own conclusions about what's appropriate and what's not. Uh, you know, her mother is, is I, I don't, she's not... You know, from a narcissism scale, or you know, her her issue is more along the lines of, of borderline personality disorder than than narcissistic personality disorder. You know, I don't know if she qualify. She could be diagnosed with really either one, possibly. I don't know. She's also she's a good chameleon, so like most of them are. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think she would ever do well. You know, get get to that point uh, if she was actually in uh, counseling. Um, but so there's been, you know, over the course of time, um, you know, the, the relationship I have with my daughter right now is really good. Um, you know, we've had a lot of good times together. We really enjoy each other. And she understands that it's very different, um, you know, between mom's house and here. She said things like, you know, mom, it was just about a year ago, we were going somewhere and she kind of brought up the point that she's like, angry a lot and I'm like okay oh. <laughs> <Yes>, I know <laughs> <laughs> this this part I'm well aware of um, but I didn't you know I'm thinking that in my head right I'm like it, and, uh, and so I asked her I said well you know do you feel that I'm angry a lot she goes no dad you're you're hardly ever angry and I'm like phew <laughs> 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 uh, but so she's starting to see the differences and then she also brought up during that she said you know, mom was really bad for a while when we were switching her medication. And I'm like, oh, great, why the hell does she know about that? You know, <laughs> she shouldn't know about mom being on meds. Now, the, you know, the big thing for me it was good. It was like, well, that's great. Mom's actually taking her meds. This is a good sign, you know. I mean, she's actually, because um, she's always had, her mom always had, like, the, and one, one of the things that kind of goes along with borderline was makes you think she's more in that realm. It was kind of, was kind of a, a low-level grade depression that's always part of it. Um and so she always had that, and so and she was better if she took she took some meds, you know, some uh, antidepressants. Um, so you know, if that's if she's doing that, it's actually helping her and helping my daughter. You know, that's great. But I really wish she wouldn't share that with her. <laughs> um, and there's things like she's my daughter said, well, mom bought me a a pair of slippers once when she got really angry at me, and she you know she felt bad. It's like so she's buying her love, <laughs> yeah. her, her her forgiveness, you know. So the things with my ex are more subtle. The the idea, like like you said, with the whole idea of trying to co-parent, though, I mean, it, it, what I've kind of I kind of taken is try to make it her idea, right? So, kind of, if it's her idea, then it's a good idea, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, if, if my ideas are all just dumb, 
so what I try to do is say, hey, well, you know, we do something like this, or do something like that. What do you think, you know? And kind of give her, kind of push her in the direction that I think we should go. Um, and sometimes that works, and oftentimes it doesn't. Um, I had a huge issue here a while back where she wanted to move. Um, and it wasn't a significant move. And she just wanted to move like two school districts over. And I said, I said, no, I said, she can't, she don't want her switching schools. And she just like was horribly upset with me that I was trying to control life and all these kind of things. I said, no, I don't care where you live. Really. <laughs> I just told my daughter switching schools. So, you know, that goes back to the, you know, taking the, taking the battle up and, and, um, making sure that, that I had the custody and, and whatnot, you know, the pieces in place so that I could do that kind of stuff when we got divorced. Um, that's one of those things that, you know, if you're, if you're going to try to divorce somebody that's toxic, you got to do it right the first time because otherwise the court will look at it and say, well, how come it was okay before and it's not okay now, you know, mm-hmm. when you try to go back. Sure. Um, so you got to basically, you know, prove that if the child is, you know, the child's not clothed, there's getting abused, there's exposed to drug use or something like that, you know, physically abused, that's like the only way you can really get things changed lots of times. Um, so especially from the guy's perspective. I mean, there definitely is some some bias in the courts still, you know, against the male parent. You know, the male parent's still supposed to be the breadwinner and the mom's supposed to take care of the kids kind of thing. And so when you're trying to take on, you know, a, a woman who's who's got toxic aspects to her personality, then you're kind of got a more of an uphill battle, at least from my perspective, because you have to prove that, you know, people just assume that a mother is fit. <laughs> sure. I mean, it's like, Every mother loves their children, you know, how can they not? You know, it's not, it doesn't even register a lot of people's paradigms that it could be different. Um, you know, so it's yeah. trying to trying to prove that in the, in the court system is can be hugely challenging, as I'm sure you're well aware of. <laughs> not Aubrey. Um, so anyway, that's that's kind of my perspective is, is you know, I, I do what I know is right for my yeah. daughter or what I feel is right. And... You pick my battles, you know. Some battles aren't worth fighting over. Um, you know, my daughter has essentially no rules when it comes to what she eats at mom's house. Um, she can go eat ice cream whenever she wants and stuff like that. And it's just like, it's not a battle that I, you know, it's one of those things that I, I this is not worth the fight, right? To say, because I'll sound like I'm trying to be controlling and telling her what she can feed her and stuff like that. And it's just not, this is not worth it. But yes, yeah, when she's going to, you know, try switching your schools and things like that, then, then that's, you know, an area that's a hill to stand on. So that's been my approach. And so far, you know, the results have been good. I mean, we we definitely have a good relationship. She understands that there's a difference between my house and, and mom's house. And that was really, you know, one of my goals of this whole thing. So, anyway. <laughs> any thoughts on any of that? Wow. <clears throat> Yeah, I have a lot of thought. Well, when do I not? Right, you guys are quite <laughs> a basket full of thoughts on everything. Um, one of the reasons I wanted Stefan to go first is that I have a completely polar opposite experience mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. Not the least of which is that um, <clears throat> my children's father moved away, like seven states away. Um, and part of that was I had told him that I was filing for divorce and his response to that was the attempt at another isolation, which he had been successful at doing before. 
um, and they were all interstate moves. Whenever that happened, it was an interstate move. And so because I had left my career and was staying home with my kids um, and working part-time out of my house, he was the primary wage earner. And, um, of course, that confers a lot of additional control. So when you're – I'm going to give you um, – Stefan, I'm going to give you the the flip side view of that. The flip side view of that is when we do – and I don't have a clue what your ex-wife's um, history is, but when we do leave a career to be home with our kids, it is a terrifying prospect because we've just given over our entire – dependency to another person sure so, no she she wanted that she wanted to stay home she okay. she has a uh she has she was basically working in social work um working like 20 hours a week or 30 hours a week or something like that and barely getting by when i first met her um okay. so and so she on her part i i would i yeah. would assume if she's a borderline that was probably a calculated move on her part. On my part, right. I had worked very, very hard to establish my career. As a matter of fact, I purposely did not start having children until I was over 30 because of that. And so my choice to leave my work was actually a result of abuse. Um, and so there, once I was working, it was, why aren't you making more money? Why isn't this job this? Why isn't this job that? And that was not anything new. I had every career I'd have, every job I'd had, that was the same thing. But then once a baby came along, um, then when you're dealing with someone who functions the way our exes do, um, he had to suddenly be faced with the fact that I was not at his beck and call anymore. Mm -hmm. I had another little person that I was responsible right. for. And I mean, I, I was up at five o'clock in the morning, breastfeeding her, getting her ready, taking her to daycare, going to work, leaving work at lunchtime, going and breastfeeding her at lunchtime, going back to what, I mean, it, it was like a never ending, just constant thing. Right. Yep. Um, and so I literally was browbeaten into leaving my career. So, <clears throat> but fast forward. Okay. Um, there are a couple of things about this. The first thing is that um, when your relationship ended, your daughter was still considerably younger than my children. Mine were 7 and 11. Mm -hmm. And so my 11-year-old, and by the way, my ex was a splitter. And if the listeners don't know what a splitter is, a splitter mm -hmm. is someone who pits two people against each other while in presenting himself to him or herself to each of those individuals as being sort of on their side. So, but what my ex actually did was pit the two children against each other. Yeah. And so he was, so he was, yeah, he was massively abusive to my older daughter. My theory being that she looks like me, acts like me, talks like me. It's creepy. She's mm -hmm. like a little four foot 11 clone. Um, yeah. And then my younger daughter looks, a little more like him has his eye color and dimples and things like that. And so, and she has a different personality. And mm -hmm. so when they were the ages that they were, when we split, um, it was a whole different dynamic. However, I will mm -hmm. tell you a lot of the things that were the same. One of the things that you said was I pick my battles. Mm -hmm. And um, as an example of how radically different, but very similar, 
our experiences <laughs> are. Um, it, it's like a boilerplate. I mean, there's so many things that we could just overlay that are exactly the same thing. Right. Yeah. Um, my ex being a thousand miles away, um, and and by the way, I didn't even hire an attorney to do my divorce. I did it myself. Yeah. My divorce cost me six hundred dollars. Yeah, but let me just tell you, my legal bills post-divorce, all in defensive action, 100% defensive, yeah. no matter what, whether it's family court or civil court or whatever, 72 grand is my current total. Yeah. And what's sad about so, that is, like, you know, that's all money that could be used for kids' college and whatnot, and oh, here yeah. you are yeah, battling over stupidity. Yeah, yeah, it's gone. But... <laughs> In the first two years, my ex-husband violated the parenting plan, custody orders, child support, 27 times. Not not one single time did I file anything. You know why? Wasn't worth it. What am I going to get out of it? I'm going to haul him, you know, down here to where I am. I'm going to have to pay a lawyer. I'm going to have to go to court. I'm going to have to do da 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 All right, so it's like an ongoing thing. However, each one of those 27 violations was aimed at me, but only damaged the children. Not bothering right. to soak for visitation, yeah. you know, harassment, I mean, you know, any number of things. Now, you and I probably both know 20 people who are divorced who co-parent just fine. Right. I've got yeah. a lot of friends that, I mean, they share 50-50 custody. Everybody's at the kids, you know, events. You know, everything's cool. There's nothing going on. They've never been back to court. It was just that was the end. That was the end. That was it. We're done. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they kind of look at us and go, how in the holy hell do you keep ending up back in court? You know, even yeah. my own mother asked me one time. She's like, I don't understand how you, of course, she's, you know, 79 years old. She's like, yeah. I don't understand how you have to keep going back to court. I'm like, Mom, you know, unfortunately, this is the way it is. Now, right. Stefan brings up a really good point where a lot of people think that um, there is a presumption toward the mother. What my experience has been personally and professionally in my advocacy work is completely the opposite when it comes to a borderline NPD, sociopath, whatever the the dynamic is, Mm -hmm. or multiples of whatever, Um, particularly if that person has any sort of status, a doctor, a lawyer, a businessman, anything that he can leverage to make the, um, the mother look unfit or crazy or whatever. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, what we're always going back to is, well, if she was good enough to stay home and take care of your kids for you 24 seven, you know, raise the family, take care of the house, all that for 12 years. So now you're saying the minute she tries to leave you, right? The minute she tries to leave you, She's 50 cards shy of a deck, really? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, but but so all of these are back to what? The same underlying thing, power and control. You're mm-hmm. not going to argue over your daughter eating a bunch of ice cream at her mom's house, you know, whatever. Yeah. The, mom has to deal with the ensuing problems. Yeah, right. <laughs> that, that's going to create whatever those problems are. Um, However, there are things worth fighting about. But here's something interesting about custodial parents when the non-custodial parent is disordered. Custodial Mm -hmm. parents are fighting for 
whatever is needed for the children. Mm-hmm. I've never once gone back and asked for more money for me. I've never once, you know, done anything that was based on me. Everything was, okay, you signed this agreement. You said that you would see the children 60 days a year. You've seen them 12 days. Mm-hmm. You know, you said that you would do this for the kids. You would provide, you know, you agreed to do insurance. Um, you know, whatever whatever the situation is, you freely agreed to do this. I didn't hire some pit bull attorney to take you apart and force you to do this. Um, which by the way, the whole high conflict thing, it's very interesting because if you look at how certain, um, certain divorces play out, if you, if you can look at it from a very neutral perspective, uh, there's no one on the planet that could have called my divorce high conflict because he didn't think Mm -hmm. I would go through with it. He didn't even show up for the final, he didn't show up for the final hearing. (laughs) Nothing. Nothing. He's like, yeah, okay, where do I sign? I'm like awesome. He doesn't think I'm going to do it. That because yeah. twice before I had attempted and it didn't happen. Uh, so, so he's so <laughs> Yeah. So he figures, yeah, he figures I'm going to choke at the last minute and this is all going to be, yeah. you know, just another exercise and crazy and whatever. Um, yeah. But as far as the kids go, when we're talking about, you know, you made stuff and you made an excellent point about the age of reason. Mm-hmm. Um, because One thing I promised myself, and I have been 100% true to this promise for five years, was that I was never going to knowingly or purposely do anything to shape my children's opinion of their other parent. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't care if I have to bite my lip off until it I am not. It can be really I, hard. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it can be. It can be, and particularly yeah. when you're like you, you know, you're going through a protracted custody battle, or you mm-hmm. know, like me, I end up with no money, no job, no place to live because I've been targeted so many times through the legal system. I've been physiologically and financially obliterated. Yeah. And me having to explain to my kids, I'm sorry, I can't sign you up for this this season. Um, because I don't have the money for it. Why, why don't you have the money for it? Well, you know, as you know, I had um, yeah. quite a number of legal bills, and I'm still paying for that. You know, whatever. They're 12 and 16 right. now. Mm-hmm. But at some point, each of them made a conscious decision with a group of information that that portion of information that they right. had. And, and, and that is 100% I mean, I've never seen that fail. And I keep telling people, you know, survivors, friends, clients, whomever, I'm like, listen, if you will put all of your energy into focusing on doing what you are supposed to do and doing it to the best of your ability instead of putting all of your energy trying to get someone who's, uh, like, really certifiable, seriously, um, (laughs) really seriously in need of treatment, into doing something they're not going to do because, Stefan, I, 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 I would bet a million dollars that your experience in this regard is the exact same as mine. Yeah, if I think so. It's already starting to see that. Blue, she would say it's orange, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, one of the things I didn't mention is I, when I was with her mother, I was really just a mess emotionally. I really, you know, I, if we did not have um, my daughter we probably would have, you know, I, I, I think I stayed a lot, a lot longer than I would have had I not, if we did not have her, you know, I might never have even gone down 
I'm sure they had another year or two. I mean, her, her mom is now on her third marriage, and she's about to turn 40. Um, she's you know, she just turned 40. So it's like, you know, marriage to me lasted four years, and her marriage lasted one and a half. And then this one's been, I think, two so far. Um, so she's kind of got this pattern, too. That, you know, it's when the common denominator is always the same person. <laughs> um, but so one of the reasons I left at the time was because I did not want to see my daughter or have her get to know the person I had felt I'd become in that relationship. I, I didn't like who I was. And yeah. it's not the person I wanted to present to her. And the other thing was, you know, when I, I, I wanted to give her that ultimate frame of reference from, from mom. And also, you know, what, what do you remember from before you were five, really? You know, most kids have a few select memories, if anything. So this is going to be all she really knows is this kind of environment once she gets older. So it's, you know, I, I, there's never a good age to get divorced, but I think, you know, I think that very young age is probably one of the better times um, versus I think when your situation, when you're getting older, right, the kids have a, they already have kind of this ideal of what the family should be. And all of a sudden that's going to be completely thrown out the window and that can make it much, much more challenging for, for the children for sure. Um, well, and as far as co-parenting but, goes, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with, and and this is what I've practiced with my girls. I don't think there's anything wrong with asking your children critical thinking questions. So, for instance, mm-hmm. if they say, um, you know, dad did so-and-so and I thought it was really weird or dad did so-and-so and it really upset me or made me angry or hurt my feelings or whatever. So, so here's a, here's an actual example. They were there for visitation one time, and um, he has a proxy abuser who is 30, who just thinks that, uh, and my ex is 51. So, and and this kid, this young boy, grew up in a very violent, you know, household with an alcoholic and stuff, just like my ex, thinks that my ex hung, hung the moon, thinks he's the greatest thing ever. I mean, sycophant yeah. is, uh, that's an understatement. This kid was verbally abusing his girlfriend in front of my ex-husband and my children. Mm. Had his girlfriend cook everybody dinner, and then they sat down to eat, and he started in on his girlfriend, who, by the way, is about a size zero minus something. She's teeny. (laughs) You really shouldn't eat. You're getting fat. And just went on and on and on. Now, here are my two girls, which was three years ago, so they were – nine and 13. Okay. And so here are my two girls describing this to me. And it's really made us mad. We couldn't believe that dad didn't even say a word. He didn't say a word to Steve. Why did he not? He just let him go. So anytime an opportunity, these are life lessons, like, you know, like Oprah says, teachable moments, right? Mm -hmm. Asking Mm -hmm. critical thinking questions. Well, what do you think? what, What would you like to have heard your father say? What do you think would have been an appropriate response? What kind of behavior do you think Steve was exhibiting? And so over time, as I have asked them these questions, and by the way, I can use examples with kids at school, kids on the lacrosse team, kids in the neighborhood. You know, we it's sort of a big batch of learning. But I think mm-hmm. that in my kids' ages in particular, that has gone a long way toward giving them a voice in deciding how they interact with him because the more critical thinking that they've done about behavior, I guess it's about taking the label of parent off of that person and just looking at them in a 
from a human perspective. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and my younger one at the time, when I was asking them these questions about this situation, my younger one who was nine said, you know, that that was I was watching someone being bullied because you know right. they had just a big bullying unit at school, right? So she's all into mm-hmm. the whole. She's like, I was watching someone being bullied, and it made me mad, and it made me sad, and I, but I didn't feel I was scared to say anything, and you know, um, and I think you know your daughter too, being nine now, the age my daughter was time, those critical thinking questions are what help keep them healthy. When they're mm-hmm. having to interact with an abusive or disordered personality, their ability to critically look at the behavior is, I think, a very liberating thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, and it's a thing I find what you bring up is that, you know, that's, that's the normal in that household so that you have created an alternate normal for them to compare with. And, mm-hmm. you know, so if it's, you know, if you're still with him, there's probably a pretty good chance that the same stuff would still be going on and abuse and whatnot. And they just, I think, you know, a lot of people say you know, the whole stay together for the kids thing. And, and I often think that that's probably does more of a disservice than it does a service to kids because um, what they're taught is that, oh, sure, dad treated mom horribly all these years, and he, and, but you never leave, right? You just stay there and take it. And so they end up in the same situation down the road. It's it's amazing how it's one thing kind of since I've really done a lot more research on these things is, is how much that, that imprinting in childhood from the parents really affects you, you know, down the road. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that that's, you know, you've got to set an example that, that you don't, you know, you're treated like this, you don't tolerate it. It's not acceptable. Right. Um, I think that's, you know, even just going through that piece is saying, you know, they, they don't understand, obviously, initially, what, why. I mean, my daughter's very aware that her parents are divorced. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she, uh, but she's done well with it. I mean, I being an only child of a divorced family, if she was a, if she was an introvert, you know, it could be, could be ugly here. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. she'd be with black fingernails and doing drugs kind of thing here in a few years. So. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but she's, you know, we have a good, and then, so it's important that we, you know, may I maintain that relationship with her so she feels she can communicate things to me. Um, right. And, and, and I so far, we, mm-hmm, you, gotta, you have to keep that open. Um, and, you know, like I said, mom is a little bit more subversive in her tactics. She's not overly, um, so it's, so there's like little pieces that come out, you know, around, like, like you know, like by the time you get back to me, now that may change as she gets older. You know, she made me see more of these differences. Um, but right now she loves her mom and she loves her dad. And, and so she's, you know, well, it's what you'd want for her situation, right? To have a relationship with both typically, right? That, you know, she has a relationship right. with both parents. Um, and then, you know, at some point she's, and I guess I'm kind of seeing, you know, when she gets older here, there may be a lot of times when kids get to be teenagers in a situation like mine, they tend to choose one house over the other. Not so much because they don't like the other parents for the convenience of it, because otherwise, you know, I, I got this book over here and I got this over here and these friends are here and that and whatnot. So it's it's it can let's live like three blocks, three you know, three blocks from each other. It can be very it's 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 a lot of stuff that the kids have to deal with. So a lot of times, you know, from other families I've dealt with, once they get to be thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, they tend to gravitate towards one house or the other most of the time. Mm-hmm. 
there, I am Mike Thompson and I'm the director over at Swan Waters and I'm so excited to tell you that we've recently launched the Healing Academy, which quite literally is a school for healing after abuse. So if you have a past where you have been abused or bullied or had to deal with toxic people, then head over and check it out. There's all sorts of stuff that you can learn, anything from escaping an abusive situation to dealing with PTSD, to how to learn to self-care, how you can use journaling in your in your healing, um, how to deal with bullies in the workplace. There's all sorts of stuff. I can't even begin to list everything because I will run out of time. So <laughs> head over to swanwaters.com slash join to find out more. Bye!